him again today. If you have your Bibles, would you turn to John chapter 10? Uh, for lack of a better way to say it, we are on Wednesday of the week. In other words, there's seven days in the week. There's seven I am sayings. Uh, we're at number four, right in the middle, right in the middle today. We're looking at the fourth of Jesus I am sayings. Last week we looked at Jesus saying, I am the door or I am the gate for the sheep. Today we'll look at uh, I am the good shepherd. About a month or two ago, I, as you're turning there, uh, I was called to officiate an outdoor service. It was, uh, and during COVID, this happens often, uh, the memorial service or the funeral service and the interment are together in an outside environment. And uh, this particular person uh, whose funeral I officiated was an elderly man. And as is often the case for people who are older, the crowd is uh, basically a smaller crowd. And such was the case that day. But about two minutes uh, before the service started, I looked out over the crowd and I saw a familiar face. Mr. John Hudson, um, he taught me geometry. It's been 40 years ago. And uh, Mr. Hudson is an amazing man. He's actually uh, related, I believe, uh, through marriage with uh, Claude and his family. Uh, But Mr. Hudson is 91 years old. And to give you some perspective about Mr. Hudson, not only did he teach me 40 years ago, but my mom is here. He taught her 65 years ago. Now, I've... I have, I have some leeway with mom. Mom's 82 and a half, and I can say that because she looks good for 82 and a half. But you can get an idea of how old John Hudson is. He's, I imagine, around 91 or 92 years old. He was a good teacher. Uh, I've, I love mathematics. He taught me geometry, and uh, he was well-respected. But you know, as I was thinking about him this past week, what makes a good teacher? And I thought about that, and there are really two qualities, I believe, that make a good teacher. First, he or she must have a great knowledge of the subject matter that's being taught. But secondly, he or she must be relational. In other words, must connect with the students, and and really, the students must know that the teacher actually cares about them. You know, I've had teachers who have known the material but couldn't relate at all. And I've had some teachers, I'll admit, in my secondary education maybe, that knew, uh, they they were very relational, but really didn't know the material very well. But when you can get both of those together, you have a really good teacher. You know, this week as we look at the fourth I am saying, I am the good shepherd, was thinking about this week, how closely related the profession of being a shepherd in that day is to being a teacher today. A shepherd to his sheep is much like a teacher to his or her pupils. A shepherd is given charge over a group. He's called to lead a flock. He's called to be proficient, yet also caring. And so today, as we look at the good shepherd, we're going to look at the greatest example And that's our Lord Jesus Christ. If you have your Bibles, would you look with me 
at John chapter 10, beginning in verse 11. Jesus says, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, leaves them and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. The wolf snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand, doesn't care about the sheep. I'm the good shepherd. I know my own. My own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. But I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock, one shepherd. This is why the Father loves me, because I lay down my life so I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own. I have the right to lay it down, and I have the right to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. Again, the Jews were divided because of these words. Many of them were saying, he has a demon and he's crazy. Why do you listen to him? Others were saying, these aren't the words of someone who is demon-possessed. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? Let's pray. Fathers, we open your word today and we look at another of Jesus' I am sayings. Lord, keep us mindful in the heart of this study that, Lord, you're everything. That, Lord, you are the one who is worthy of our praise, worthy of song, worthy of prayer, worthy of honor. Lord, as our good shepherd, we thank you that not only are you more than capable, but, Lord, you're more than caring. And we thank you. Lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. You know, I've been reading uh, A.W. Tozer's devotional book, My Daily Pursuit, this year. And recently, uh, Tozer, in uh, the devotional, took about one week to focus on the incomparable measureless nature of God. And really, the, the week-long uh, entries, he started with uh, something that really bothered him, and it sort of took me uh, a moment to grasp what he was saying. But he wrote, he said, I hate when people say we have a big God. He said, that just irritates me. And I thought, well, you know, I probably said we've had a big God. What does he mean by this way well, follows by saying that measurement by its very nature is issued by created beings to give an account for other created things he said in other words you can count change in your pocket you can get on the scales and weigh yourself you can stand beside a wall and measure your height but in contrast he said God is boundless he's self-existent He's incomparable in nature, and so his argument was this. To say God is big, as great as that is, is to even bring God down. You know, as I thought about his entries during that week, I'm so grateful that while God is measureless, while God is infinite and far beyond what our minds can understand, and, and we go awry if we seek to define him solely in human terms, I'm thankful that he himself stooped down and introduced himself in these I am sayings in a way that we could grasp. For these two consecutive weeks, last week and this week, we've looked at the subject of sheep. 
And you know, if you stop and think for just a moment, uh, the, the sheep metaphor is frequently used in the Bible, but, but there are at least four ways that Jesus describes himself in regard to sheep in the New Testament. We saw last week he described himself as the gate for the sheep. That is, the, 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 the one that protects, as we mentioned last week, the closed gate, but the open gate, which is the gate into fellowship with God. Jesus, through his death, has provided a way for us, a gate, an opening to fellowship with the Father. This week we're looking at the fact that he is the good shepherd, that he lays down his life for us, that he has sacrificed his life, and that he watches over and cares for us. But also as we go through the New Testament, we see uh, that John the Baptist describes him as the Lamb of God. So indeed, he is the sacrifice for our sin. And then as we move into the book of Hebrews, we see him described as the great high priest, the one who offers the Lamb sacrifice. So these four realities are shared about him just in this one metaphor of sheep. And I don't share this to confuse anyone. But I share it mainly to say, we serve a great God. We serve a wonderful Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He is our way. He's our salvation. He's our Savior. He is our sacrifice. He is the one who presents the sacrifice. And while I certainly agree with Tozer that God is beyond even our wildest imaginations as he's an infinite being, I'm grateful that in passages like the one that we're studying today, that he relates to us on our own terms. This morning, I want to look at two aspects of Jesus being our good shepherd. I want to look at first the nature of his work. When he calls himself the good shepherd, what does he mean about the work that he's carrying out? But then I want to also look at the scope of his work. In other words, who makes up his flock? Again, we have to understand the context, and next week we're going to see the context moves to a few months later. But Jesus is speaking these words shortly after the Feast of Tabernacles. We do know that it's probably very close to what he said earlier uh, when he calls himself, I am the light of the world, because in the last verses of this, remember people when they were debating over who he was, someone said, can, can you attribute to the, the devil uh, the restoration of sight to a person. So that miracle uh, that we looked at a couple of weeks ago uh, in the statement surrounding it was very closely uh, timed with this. Last week we saw as the gate, he's the only way to the Father. His sacrifice and his alone is the one that allows us to have entrance into fellowship with God, restored uh, fellowship with God. Our sin has broken us from God. We're severed from God in our sin apart from Jesus, but through Jesus, we have a way to the Father. But he follows that statement, I am the gate for the sheep, by saying today, I am the good shepherd. Well, what does he mean by that? What's the nature of of the good shepherd's work. Well, a shepherd does a, a number of things. Uh, a shepherd leads the flock. The psalmist says uh, of his shepherd, God, he said he leads me beside still waters, so, so the shepherd leads. The, the shepherd protects the flock. Uh, we know that David, King David himself, when he was a young man, protected the animals over which he was given charge. A shepherd feeds the flock. 
uh, a shepherd, as we saw, leads the flock to water. In general, the shepherd provides general care, watch care, over the sheep. But here, Jesus focuses on one specific aspect of the shepherd's work, and he repeats it. You know, if you ever hear something over and over, you need to take note. If you're in a classroom setting and the professor is saying something over and over, something needs to go on and say, okay, this is being repeated. It's being repeated because it's important. Five times in our text this morning, Jesus either says literally as the good shepherd, he says of himself, I lay down my life for the sheep or some form of that statement. So among all of the aspects of, uh, of the shepherd, the good shepherd, the, the one aspect we're going to focus on this morning is the one that Jesus emphasized, and that is laying down his life for the sheep. I want to sit down on these four verses, which is verse 11, verse 15, verse 17, verse 18, and then again in verse 18, where he repeats this statement, I lay down my life for the sheep. And I want to look at three aspects in this statement from Jesus. First, as the good shepherd, his work of laying down his life was voluntary. Jesus doesn't say his life was taken from him, does not say that his life was commanded of him. He does, and we know uh, the, the unity of the Trinity, that he obeyed the will of the Father. We know that, but we know there's no separation in goal and in purpose and intent of the Trinity. No man forced him to lay down his life. In fact, Jesus says in verse 18, no one takes my life from me. As I was reading that verse 18, I I thought of the event that would happen after Jesus breathed these words, when Jesus was before Pilate. And you remember as the Jewish leaders presented him uh, to Pilate. And remember what Pilate said to Jesus as he was getting frustrated because he felt like Jesus wasn't working with him. He said to Jesus, don't you realize I have the power to either free you or to crucify you? And Jesus responded, you would have no power over me if it were not given to you from above. That's out of John 19. Jesus willingly gave his life on the cross as a part of the Father's plan. It was not under compulsion, but willingly. Jesus says in verse 18 here, I have the right to lay my life down, and I have the right to take it up again. I love this uh, caring nature of our good shepherd because Jesus contrasts the work of the good shepherd, who he is, Uh, with the hired hand. In verse 12, he says, the hired hand, since he is not the shepherd and doesn't own the sheep, leaves and runs away when he sees a wolf coming. He may have knowledge about what to do, but he doesn't have the care uh, for the sheep. He said, then the wolf snatches and scatters them. This happens because he's a hired hand and does not care for the sheep. And so Jesus has contrasted himself with the false leaders, the false religious leaders, those who were seeking to portray themselves as being the true one. And he says, basically, the good shepherd works for the sheep. The hireling works for the hireling. Uh, The shepherd willingly dies for the sheep. The hireling, when things become dangerous, he flees. 
Why? Because he begins to say, is this worth the money that I'm being paid for me to give my life? Whereas the shepherd says, these are my sheep. I care for them. So the key here is the good shepherd cares for the sheep. Do you realize today Jesus Christ cares for you? I don't know what you're going through in your life right now. A time of conflict, a time of doubt, a time of insecurity, a time of struggle. It's important as you look at God's word today to settle the truth. God cares for you. Jesus cares for you. His work was voluntary. But I want you to see, secondly, his work was purposeful. He didn't just lay down his life in a voluntary way, but he laid it down to accomplish something. There was a purpose. He says, I lay down my life for. This speaks to purpose. Three chapters after these words were spoken, in John chapter 13, we read that Jesus was in a room with the disciples he knew the hour had come for him to leave the world. In other words, he knew that he was going to die on the cross. And he knew he was going to go to the Father. And the scripture tells us there in John 13 that Jesus got up from the table where they were sitting. He wrapped a towel around his waist. He got down on his knees. And he began to wash the disciples' feet. You remember what Peter said? He said, not me, Lord. Not me. Jesus said to Peter, unless I wash you, you have no part in me. And remember, Peter said, just uh, wash all of me. Jesus said, you only need the feet. What was Jesus saying there? He was picturing before he died that he came to serve. That he came to fulfill the purpose that God had for him to die on the cross for our sins. Jesus' work as the good shepherd was purposeful because only through his death can you and I be made right with him. You see, it would have been foolish for Jesus to have died on the cross just as an example, but he did not. He died on the cross for the purpose of saving people from their sins. I wonder today if you trusted in the one who died for you? Is he your personal Savior? But then I want you to see, thirdly, his work was sacrificial. I lay down my life for, or we might say on behalf of, the sheep. You know, I'm reminded of the image we had last week, remember, with the gate. Remember how we talked about in rural areas that often... Um, the pen, the sheep pen, would be made of large stones in a circular way, and they had to have an opening, but they didn't have the resources really to build a gate. And what would happen in these rural areas is the shepherd himself would lie across the opening, especially at night, protecting the sheep from wandering, but also protecting the sheep from outside influences. And so whether it be uh, a robber or whether it be an animal, they had to do what? They had to first go through the shepherd to get to the sheep. Jesus says, I lay down my life for the sheep. The, the scripture tells us that the Father made him who knew no sin to become our sin so that we might possess his righteousness. A five dollar word for that is efficacious. What it means is that effective. 
Jesus' death was effective in paying the price for our sin. It was effective in granting those who would believe in him right standing with God. If you've never trusted in Jesus Christ, I pray you would trust him as your substitute, your sacrifice. Well, then what's the scope of Jesus' work? We see the nature of his work. We've looked at that, his caring nature, the purposeful nature, the voluntary nature, the sacrificial nature. But who is his flock? Well, he tells us in verse 16. He said to those who were listening, but I have other sheep that are not from this sheep pen. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. Then there will be one flock and one shepherd. What is Jesus saying there? There were more believers to come into the fold. Who was he speaking specifically there about Gentiles? He's saying there to this Jewish audience, I'm going to be bringing in the nations into the fold. You know, God is a God of order. I love fall. It's my favorite time of the year. I'm sort of backwards on a lot. I like fall and winter. Boy, I'm strange. Most of y'all would say you like summer and spring. Um, but I love the fall of the year. I love the coolness in the air. I love to see the leaves changing. I love that God's a God of order. I've been on this earth uh, 56 plus years. Spring still comes, summer, fall, and winter. God's a God of order every day. The sun comes up, the sun goes down. The earth rotates on its axis consistently. God is a God of order. And he's a God of order in regard to the salvation of people. Romans tells us to the Jew first and then to the Gentile. Now, I'm, I'm thankful in this season, in this time in which we live, the gospel is for all people. The gospel has reached the Gentile people. We say, well, what, what is this? God is saying the Jew first and then the Gentile. Well, guess what? Uh, on a typical Sunday when we leave here, we have to get to the front yard before we get to the car. There's an order in that. And so there was an order of the gospel. It would go first to the, to the Jews because it came uh, from and among the Jews, but it was to go out to the people. I love that illustration. I continue to hone on it, in on it each week. Jesus' response to that Syrophoenician woman, remember the Gentile woman, she asked for a miracle from Jesus, and Jesus said, why would I give to the dogs what's for the children? Now, Jesus was not being misogynistic there. He was not looking down on her as being a woman. He wasn't saying, you're a dog. We need to understand what the Scripture teaches. There's an order. Who, who were the children? They were the Jews. Who were the dogs at that time? The Gentiles. What happens in your home unless we talked about you have an unhealthy affection for your dog? The dog gets seconds, first to the table and then beneath. And the woman had great faith. She understood Jesus wasn't disrespecting her because she said in a faithful statement, even the dogs can have the crumbs. In other words, she knew even though the gospel's first for the Jews, it's also for the Gentiles. God's a God of order. Jesus, we saw a couple of weeks ago, is the light of the world. And in effect, here in verse 16, when he says, I have sheep, 
of another flock, of another fold that will come into this flock. What he is saying basically in verse 16, I'm the shepherd of the world also. He has a heart for the world. I love going on foreign mission trips. I love fellowshipping with Christians from different cultures. Some of you have had the opportunity, and it is one of the true blessings of the Christian life, once you're saved, to be able to be on foreign soil with people who share not the same language, may not look like you look, may not act like you act, may have total cultural differences, yet when you come around the table, the Lord's Supper, or you come into the church service, there's a closeness that nothing else can compare to. That's what Jesus is saying here. He has a heart for the world. That means he has a heart for your neighbor and my neighbor, and he has a heart for the people across the globe. In the months of December and January, we're going to be collecting for the Lottie Moon Christmas offering. Let me encourage you on the front end, make that a priority of your Christmas giving. You ever thought we give each other gifts at Christmas, but whose birthday is being celebrated? Jesus. Suppose you had a birthday and everybody showed up around your house. You're about my age, 56, and everybody's giving everybody else gifts and you're getting nothing. You would feel a little bit left out, wouldn't you? The Live Moon Christmas offering is opportunity for us to give a gift to the Lord Jesus Christ so that the gospel would advance to all peoples. One flock, Jesus said, one flock. You see, the world today is trying to divide us or it's trying to unite us around that which cannot unite us. There's only one who can bring the nations together in unity. That's the Lord Jesus Christ. Anything else is either divisive or a false or temporary unity. You know, Psalm 23 is a dear psalm to me as well as to many of you. It begins, the Lord is my shepherd. I wonder today, is the Lord Jesus Christ your shepherd? He says in our text today, Jesus, I am the good shepherd. The question I have today, is he your good shepherd? After Jesus spoke these words, the scripture says there was a division. There was a division among the crowd that was watching the same thing. Some were saying, he has a demon, he's crazy. And that day, if you were crazy, it was immediately attributed to having demonic activity. Others were saying, how could that be? Because he restored sight to the blind. They were divided. Even today, people are divided over Jesus. But the word tells us today, he's the good shepherd. Is he able? Is he capable? Is he proficient? Is he great at what he does? Yes, he is. But he's also caring. And he cares for you. If you've never trusted him, wouldn't today you say, I want to give my life to Jesus Christ. I want to surrender myself to the good shepherd. We're going to sing here in just a moment. I'm going to pray then we're going to stand and sing. If God has put on your heart any decision, you come as we stand and sing. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us enough that you came to lay down your life for us. You lay down your life for a purpose because we needed you to do that. 
Father, if there be any within the sound of my voice today who have not trusted you as the good shepherd, I pray today would be the day. But Father, also may be some who may be doubting your goodness or struggling and trusting you as the good shepherd. Help them, Lord, even now and through the weeks ahead to be convinced of your care for them. Father, we love you and lift this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. God's placed a decision on your heart. Please come as we stand and sing.